The United States hit an awful, embarrassing, and horrific milestone the day I taped this podcast. As of today, 300,000 people have died from COVID, and it has now surpassed heart disease as the leading cause of death in this country. COVID has killed more people than 9-11, more people than were killed in the attack on Pearl Harbor, the Korean War, World War I. And here's another number to keep in mind, 405,000. That's the number of people lost in World War II. And given where we are right now, it's safe to say we will probably pass that as well. Now, as this horrendous news was circulating, there was some good news on the COVID front. Because I can't actually say it's a war against COVID because that would imply that we provided some resistance. We didn't. We said, fuck it. Anyway, our word of the week is vaccine, because a COVID vaccine arrived in various cities across the country just today. But not surprisingly, given this country's piss poor response to the virus, given how awful this presidential administration has handled this crisis, how they've lied to people first about the seriousness of the disease, and then they doubled down with reckless behavior as the virus had a field day with this entire administration. People are naturally distrustful of a vaccine after witnessing so much fuckery. Now, among the biggest skeptics are black people. According to a recent Harris poll, only 43% of black people say they will get a vaccine. That's down 22 points from August. Meanwhile, 58% of white people say they will take the vaccination. That black people are carrying such a high degree of skepticism is entirely expected. For those who did not know, history is littered with examples of the medical profession abusing, mutilating, and flat out killing black bodies in the name of science. Black women are actually the reason gynecology exists. Of course, doctors didn't want to perform painful procedures on white women to figure out how the female body worked. They instead performed these painful procedures on black women. For example, J. Marion Sims is credited with being the father of gynecology, but Sims often performed horrific procedures on black women without anesthesia. Yes, without anesthesia. In fact, he performed 30 surgeries on an enslaved woman because a common belief held by doctors at the time is that black people were incapable of feeling pain. Because, of course, when Sims performed these same surgeries on white women, he gave them anesthesia. And because this is America until 2018, there was a statue of Sims in Central Park right across from the New York Academy of Medicine. In America, we build monuments to racism to further maintain the lie that this country wasn't built on the mistreatment of black people. Many of us know about the Tuskegee experiment, which involved 600 black men. Hundreds of these black men had syphilis and 200 of them did not. They wanted to track the full progression of the disease. So they lied to the men who had it and told them that they were being treated for syphilis when they weren't. They were instead being given placebos. And this went on for 70 years. I have a lot more examples, be it slaves who had their skulls bashed in because doctors wanted to see how much pain a black skull could handle, or the case of Henrietta Lacks, who was treated unsuccessfully for cervical cancer in 1951, but doctors kept a tissue sample without her family's consent. So we understand that there is skepticism and it needs to be adequately addressed. 
But here are the facts. While, yes, it is true that the medical industry has been racist toward black people, the Tuskegee experiment and even what happened to enslaved women were centered around lack of treatment and not being given something that is supposed to provide a remedy. COVID has hit black and brown communities especially hard. We can't afford to base decisions to take the vaccine off conspiracy theories, gut feelings, what somebody told us, what we heard, or anything like that. We have to inform ourselves with the adequate, proper information. We can say we don't trust the government, but in reality, we trust the government a lot. The government provides the safety regulations for the car you drive, the water you sip, and the air you breathe. And listen, you can't be the person eating Papa John's, Spam, high sodium ass ramen noodles, a shitload of pork talking about I'm not taking the vaccine because my body is a temple. Follow the science, people, because I guarantee that assuming this vaccine is effective as advertised, black folks going to be mad as fuck if white people out here living their best lives and we're left out because Auntie Bertha told us not to take the vaccine. The word of the week. So a few seconds ago, I used the phrase about the body being a temple, and it kind of reminded me of today's guest. It is so hard to believe that this brother is damn near 50 years old because he honestly looks as good or better than he did when he arrived on the scene in the early 90s as a member of one of the most legendary hip hop groups of all time. That's because he's gone on an intense fitness journey the last three years which is really just a testament to his overall work ethic and how striving for excellence is so important to him in all facets. While his rap career is still perhaps what he's most known for, he's become a terrific actor. And he now hosts a podcast that dives deep into the Marvel comic book universe, which is another passion of his. The majority of people don't get to do what they love, but this guy has been able to turn three of his biggest passions music, movies, and comic books into career pursuits. He's currently starring as a shady lawyer named Davis McLean on Power Book 2, Ghost, which is airing on Stars. I've been a fan of his forever. Joining me on today's podcast is M-A-T-H-O-D, man, up next on Jamel Hill is Unbothered. So, Matt, actually, I was thinking about when was the last time I saw you perform? Of course, we met when I was still at ESPN and the the Wu-Tang Clan was performing in Hartford. Uh, a, a rare yeah. a rare treat in that city. Trust me, bro. I was, I was like, "Woo! thank God we got something we got to do in here and uh, a dope group, one of a legendary group. But that wasn't the last time I saw you. The last time I saw you perform was when you were with Redman. This was the BET Awards. And you know how The Roots does the Roots and Friends concert, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and y'all was on the stage with Thought. So Thought did, um, he did Red Man's dun 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 while the fuck out. He did that. Yes, he did. Well, I have never heard somebody murder somebody else's song the way he did. Like, he killed that so hard <laughs> that you, I remember you took the mic and you were like, I don't even want to come after you after that. <laughs> after that, like, I was good. Like, Black Thought, he's been doing that for years, man. They even had me go on Fallon one time and me and him were doing different Wu-Tang songs in between outtakes and 
Yeah, he was. I, I just shut up and let him do him by himself. He was killing them shit. Yeah, no, he's probably my favorite. Um, one of my favorite MCs, like the Roots. Like I, I was a day one Roots head from 1994. Oh, like so seeing that special Ooh. moment with the three of y'all on stage, it was just. It was just really, really special. And I love it when they do that, when they bring other people on and y'all just vibe off each other. It's just like really great for fans to see. They got a lot of love in the hip hop. They got a lot of love in the hip hop arena, man. You know, because I mean, just respect wise, period. They got a lot of love in the hip hop arena. And Black Thought has always been one of our premier lyricists and thoughtful people. Yeah. I.e. the name Black Thought. Yeah. It all goes together. Um, It kind of reminded me of, of where I wanted to start with you because there's so much to talk about what you're acting, what you're doing on Power Book 2. Um, I love that your character is kind of despised. This is so funny to me. <laughs> um, uh, and playing that and of course your fitness journey and other stuff. But I wanted to kind of start with rap because um, you know, I know you're asked quite often about best MCs, top five, all that kind of thing. Um, you yourself could be included in any of those lists, but taking yourself out of it, who's a name that doesn't get mentioned whenever we're having this endless best rapper ever conversation that should be mentioned? Inspector Deck, definitely Inspector Deck, man, because Deck has set off some of Wu Tang's or ended or been on some of Wu Tang's biggest records, Cream. Triumph, the list goes on. Um, dang, I mean, you know what? They cover a lot of bases, and that top five has been a lot of really flimsy lately. You know what I'm saying? And um, but you have some people that are creatures of habit, and of course, the Jay Z's, the Biggies, the Nas's, and from the next generation, the Kendricks, the J. Cole's, people like that come to mind. But now we got so many new cats coming out, I don't think you can have a top five really. You'd have to wait like another 20 years in order to like solidify top five MCs or maybe just do it annually, I guess, something like that, because it's ever changing. And that's the beauty of hip hop music, that the growth has never stopped. Even if the artists have, the growth hasn't. Yeah, I mean, it, it is we set ourselves up because there's some we, it's just people we refuse to kick out of the top five and it's not you could not kicking them out because they don't deserve to be mentioned it's just things change like basketball players yes we do that all the time we change the list right i mean yes we do there's going to be some holdouts like a lot of people like they ain't never letting michael jordan go and i'm not saying that they should at all but the fact is it is a discussion now about like where lebron belongs in that top five those change but for some reason with music we just don't have that we just don't want to let go. And you know what? We like to call, we like to think of ourselves as the gatekeepers. And the reason why people take music so seriously is because it reminds them of moments in their lives. You know, maybe it changed the perspective or a lost love or just anything that brings you back to a moment where it makes you think so like, and all your inner thoughts just come back and it, I, you either smile or it makes you cry. And and that thing there, you want to preserve that as much as you can. So when you hear something that goes against the grain, you you tend to think, OK, well, this is this is in my and you fill in the category music. You know what I mean? And um, it gets to a point where if we all felt that way, there wouldn't have been a prince, you know, because prince didn't exactly do urban music prince did world music he could go pop he can go soul he can whatever he wanted to do so where do you put an artist like that if you have gatekeepers that say no that's not the way our music is done There's no way well the 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 good thing i think where wu-tang has an advantage is that we don't see hip-hop groups anymore right and so 
we have to be stuck with certain groups. Like, you know, my four favorite groups, my like, they're not changing. It's going to be Wu-Tang, The Roots, NWA, and Outkast. Like, that, that's not going to change because we don't see groups anymore. Uh, why do you think that is? What happened to the hip-hop group? First of all, that's a strong-ass list. Um, I think what happened to the hip-hop group, Wu-Tang might have happened to the hip-hop group, but a lot of other things come into play also. And what I mean by that is Wu-Tang's had a unique record deal. Like when a lot of MCs say they changed the game, it's, uh, it's, it's more of a, it's not really, it's, it's more of just the saying, it's superficial. But when Wu-Tang said it, it really happened because when we came in, we came in as a group with the option to sign as solo artists. Now, that was unheard of back then because at that point in time, a lot of record labels did not want to work with other labels. It's basically you're cutting your money in half. And um, to see this deal actually go through and to have these record labels working together for our cause was unheard of. So now you have these groups that come in as groups, but they want to sign as solo artists and they're literally coming in asking for a Wu-Tang deal. Like that's the name of it. And I think that when you do have all these solo artists and you try to come back as a group, you have a bunch of solo artists trying to be a group now. And sometimes the cohesion isn't there, especially if you all didn't grow up together and you were thrown together something like the Spice Girls or something like that, you know? But um, over time, you can tell who lasted, who didn't. I like the way Lil Wayne did it because Lil Wayne put together like a Super Friends. You know what I mean? Like a Justice League of hip hop. You know what I'm saying? He got his Wonder Woman with Nikki. He went and got his Superman with Drake. He was Batman. You know what I'm saying? And just started adding all these little elements and things of that nature. And if history shows anything, the fact that these guys are still around is very powerful. Mm. Um, when you think about what hip hop looks like today, what do you think or how do you think Wu-Tang uh, Clan would be received if they came out in present day? Oh man, they'd be like, <laughs> who do you, we'd probably be looked at like Griselda, 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 because those guys, I think they embody a 90s feel, but with a modern day swagger to it. I take my hat off to those guys, because seriously, like, it was a point, it was to a point where I get everybody wanting to have a wave and be on a wave. And even I, when I started listening to the music, I was turned off by it at first, but then I started to get it as my kids explained to me you know, exactly what vibing is and, you know, all the little words that they use now and stuff like that. And I started to get it. It's like, okay, it's melodic. It's basically sing songy. This is what old dirty would have been big at right here. Okay. I get it. But the lyricism part of it is what threw me off. So the lyricism gets lost in the shuffle. So you get a Wu-Tang up in there and um, it's a bunch of lyrical guys and things of that nature. I, you know what? Long answer short, Yes, we would be received very well because nobody has ever seen anything like that before. So I did a I did a podcast. I, I agree. Um, I did a podcast with Vince Staples and he sort of, uh, you know, he represents this age of music, obviously. And, you know, he said so to me because we were we were in, we were arguing because he he said that he didn't think like Tupac's dear mama was slapped. Now he was like, that shit wouldn't slap. And he was and I was like, son, we just gonna have to fight this. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? But I understood what he meant in the sense of I don't agree, but he's just like, if you listen to how the cadence and just how much slower rap sounded during that age, he said, now it's just, it's too fast. And so I, I would, it's yes, it's very like boom, 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 boom. So as an artist, I'd love to get your opinion on that. Do you, you know, 
given that, do you think a lot of those those groups of yesterday that we love would be unsuccessful today because of the sound not being the same? I, I think that there's a niche for everybody right now because you do have certain groups that sound like that era of music. You had those pro era guys with Joey Badass in them. Just let me say this. Vince Staples is a fucking genius, first and foremost, lyrically, in life, everything. You know what I mean? And he's very opinionated. And I love that guy. He's one of my favorite artists. Um, but you're always going to have these debates. And it, it all goes back to where, and I hate to say old school, let's just say classic hip hop to where it is now. These kids have this mindset where we still remember the Reagan era. They can't even recall it. They, they, they grew up with Obama. So the whole mindset is different. It's glamour and glitz over everything else. Whereas when hip hop first presented itself, I'll give you an example. Kids would run up on me and say things like, um, you an MC? Let me hear rock. Now spit for him. Yeah, he an MC. Nowadays, it's you MC? Okay, where your car at? Where your house? Where your big chains at? You ain't no rapper. You ain't no real rapper. You ain't got no money, you know? And the flash, it's the flash. And I'm not mad at the flash because you need that flashy stuff. You know what I mean? Where would the game be without a Jay-Z and a Nas? A biggie, you know? These niggas would not know how to dress. Part of my French. <laughs> you know? So, I mean, you need all of that. Especially, I, I like to relay it to boxing. Because you need a flashy boxer that everybody's going to hate on because they're going to show up because they want to see him lose. Then you just need those real gruff dudes that just come in there and whoop ass. It all balances itself out. You know, you can have this or you can have that. And when those two worlds meet, you just want to see who's going to win. What's so interesting looking at the narrative and the story arc of Wu-Tang Clan, which is obviously still going, is... You know, you guys were gritty, are, not were, are gritty as fuck. And yet white people love y'all. Like, this, I mean, there's a part of me that's just like, this is so perplexing. I mean, good music is good music. And I'm not saying that hip hop right now is, is very much powered by white fans. But you all in particular, you got to have an acquired taste for hip hop to love the Wu-Tang Clan. Is it just as surprising to you to see just how cross-cultural your fandom is? Well, I think a lot of it is attributed to how well received we were by the black community, which always makes others very curious. Like, what's going on over there? What's all the racket? Then when they get their hands on the music and they actually give it a chance, it's like, oh, OK, now I see it. And those fans not taking anything away from the youngins nowadays, but it's fast food to them. There's always a new artist that's down the third. But those fans from back then, including our black fans. They held on to that stuff in their souls. So it's like they want to, I mean, that music is so relevant to them today that they want to play it for their kids. So their kids have a, it's, it's them like trying to tell them, this is your music education. This is where you should start at. If you're going to listen to anything, listen to this first. It's the same way they are rabid about uh, when grunge metal was out and even heavy metal. And those guys were straight bums. They dressed like bums, but they were gazillionaires from music. You look at freaking um, one of my favorite bands. Um, Metallica. Metallica. Yes, Metallica. I mean, you, you see those guys, they ain't got the big chains or none of that. You know, it's grungy. And Wu-Tang defined, grunge, if you could call it grunge rap, let's call it that. Grunge hip hop. That's exactly what it was. So we were the nirvana of our time. Oh, that's a good motherfucking catch line. Yeah, that is. Uh, you got to keep that one. You got to keep that description. Right. So when you see now that not only, I mean, you guys crossed over a long time ago, but now there is uh, nostalgia's in. And so you all have the the Showtime documentary that came out of Mike's and Men, which I thoroughly enjoyed. 
And of course, you have Wu-Tang American Saga. So you have a docuseries and you have a whole series based off your life. Um, What's it like to see uh, dealing specifically with American Saga? What's it what's it like to see your life played out on screen as somebody who's now an actor? Wow. I mean, it's weird. It's um, okay. Now, RZA, I, I get what he was striving to do when he did the American Saga thing. He wanted to keep the Wu-Tang name relevant. It was our 25-year anniversary in the game, and a lot of things were spinning at the time. Smart dude, he plays chess. He got us a um, series deal. But his idea was to have this series play out overseas because it's like, I've never, I mean, even New Edition only got four episodes. You know what I mean? You're talking about like eight episodes for like five, six seasons. What are we doing? And long story short, it's a lot of embellishing, but it's good to have something like that to watch, especially to show the kids. But you got to do a lot of fact checking, a lot of fact checking. As far as of Mike's and men, I thoroughly enjoyed that documentary. Mass Appeal did an excellent job with that. Um, I thought we owed the fans that. They needed to see that to know exactly um, the ins and outs of what was going on in that era and how we were dealing with just a new life and a new lifestyle and being in a group of guys and the turmoil that comes with that, as well as the the goodness that comes out of that, you know, and even for us to sit down and just be present again, all of us in the same room, just present again and, and, and revealing things that some of us didn't even know about each other. You know, it was, it was great. It was great. I, I, I thought that, um, Something and went a little far with, with, with some things, but all of that shit in there needed to be said. And I think the fans um, deserve it. You said you you just said that there were some things that you learned that you didn't know or maybe it was some feelings that were exposed that you weren't aware of. Like what were some of the things that you you didn't know or some feelings that came out that you were unaware of? Well, the one thing that stood out the most is that uh, Master Killer, who's actual government last name is Turner is a straight descendant of Nat Turner blew my mind. You know what I mean? And I believe they have some lineage to Marvin Gaye also that blew my mind. Um, like I said, it, it's, it's not easy revealing and opening yourself up to people like that. I, I I'm telling you, I didn't give everybody everything. I was still reserved about a lot of things, but, um, all in all, It was a great documentary. And would I do it again? Hell no. (laughs) You wouldn't do it again. (laughs) No, I would not do it again. Hell no. A lot of of ugly things came up out of that. But like I said, it was something the fans deserved to see when you pull that curtain off behind the curtain, you know? Yeah. I mean, you've lived through so many interesting periods in, in hip hop. And of course... You know, you live through a very ugly period, which is the supposed East Coast, West Coast rift. As somebody who had friends on both coasts, who was cool with both camps, um, when you think about that time now, sort of what comes to mind and like, what's your perspective on it now? Well, anybody that was there that was in the know knew that it wasn't a East Coast, West Coast thing. Um, It was um, this camp versus, well, it was really just pop and big had their dispute on whatever the truth was and only they know the truth. Um, the East coast, West coast thing came about for media, um, hip hop media. I guess they, they love drama. It's the same way that there was an era where native tongues, um, that was jungle brothers. De La Soul, people like that. You had PE, 
KRS-One, You Must Learn, where hip-hop shifted and these guys were pushed out. And a more gangster sound, which I'm not mad at because we needed that for the times, was flooded into the market. So a lot of the messages and things of that nature got swallowed up by this, this crop of just, we're going to put you all in this light here, this, this gangster shit, and we're going to run with that. We're going to silence these teachers and bring in the thugs. I don't know if I said that right. But we're going to silence the people over here that are teaching something. And this is the message that we want to bring. And at that point in time, you know, this is how Wu-Tang gets in the game with a protected neck. But once we got everybody's attention, you get a song like Cream that talks about the ills of said lifestyle. So do you feel as if um, hip hop then was a little more nuanced than it is now? Well, I think the artists had a lot more creative control than they do now. I mean, in in a sense, the, the record labels, they go wherever the wave is. If there's money there, that's where they're going to go with it. And as soon as you can't make any more money, it's like on to the next. <laughs> well, I, I do try not to sound uh, judgmental of today's hip hop because, listen, it, 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 it might be some point I'm going to have to explain the uh, my kids, uh, I don't have any, but like if I had some, I had to explain to them why, how much I love. Yeah. Bitch better have my money by AMG. <laughs> when they got the coldest, might have the coldest opening line in hip hop history. Ain't nothing like that, but like that might be the coldest one, right? It's like, whoa, we right here. It's zero to a hundred right now. <laughs> I was like, so I can't, I can't say shit about today's music because I'm like, God knows like some of the shit I used to listen to. Yeah, man. Yeah. So I, you know, as somebody who's a father, like, have you had those conversations with your kids? No, I avoided them? those. <laughs> I avoided those, actually. No, seriously, um, it, it's never really came up. The kids have always listened to the music we listen to the same way we listen to the music our parents listen to. So, I mean, those issues never really came up. It's something about urban kids that grow up in urban homes. They They know the difference between outside and inside. Where it's like certain things that happen in the house stay in the house and they kind of get it. You know what I'm saying? So, no, nah, I've never really had that problem. I've never had to go up to school because my son was doing gangster shit at school because he heard it in a, <laughs> in a song. Nah, that's, that's never happened. I like to think I'm a better parent than that. Jesus. <laughs> yeah, or, yeah or, or repeating some of your lyrics, I guess, at school. Like, they, they know better, right? This is true. But you know what? For like 10 years now, and I'm not going to even hold you. I haven't cursed in a, on a record um, as far as verses. Now, the lead in, I may say a little S-H-I-T here and there before I start rhyming. But as far as the verses, no. I, I, and, I, and that was by choice. I was asked to write a verse without curses. And once I did it, and it still sounded hard, I was like, let me see if I can continue doing this and if people will notice. And nobody noticed. You're right. Until you said it, I didn't. Notice that you hadn't, right? Now, they're talking about verse of the year on a record I did with Conway, and there's not a curse word in my verse at all. No N-word, no B-I-T-C-H's, nothing. And that's incredible to me. And a lot of people didn't even notice that I didn't curse in the verse. But to answer your question, I mean, I've sat in the car basically with my mother-in-law and listened to some of our records come on the radio and was a little cringy in the car, you know what I mean? <laughs> 
You know, so I get it. <laughs> you try sitting in first class with the Wu Tang Clan. Those flight attendants did not know what hit them because our sentences end with and shit. So imagine what everything that's said before that and shit. You know what I mean? So they ain't never felt nothing like that before. <laughs> I, I bet they haven't. Um, all right, listen, we're going to take a quick break. Uh, believe it or not, a half hour just flew by that quickly. I got more I want to uh, ask you about. Definitely um, getting to some acting stuff. And man, I ain't going to let you off this podcast till we talk about your sorry ass jets, man. Like... <laughs> <laughs> I'm like I'm, I feel like I need to pray for you because you if you still a Jets fan like how I don't <laughs> you but you hanging in there though so we'll we'll have to definitely get some sports talk in there as well because I know you're a big sports fan uh, anyway more with Method Man when we return on Jamel Hill is unbothered. We spent a lot of time in the first half talking uh, uh, about hip hop. Um, now let's pivot to one of your other passions, which is is comic books, right? I was on your appeared on your your podcast, uh, your Marvel podcast, yes. yeah, where you you go knee deep. Look for any comic book fans that are listening right now. Like Meth's uh, podcast is not a surface level comic book podcast. You dive in deep into uh the comic book world and going over characters and when you surprised me with one of the writers from silver surfer i just lost it like yes. that was that was really great so i, I truly appreciate you doing <laughs> that recently in the news um you know they talked about how black panther 2 not out until 2022 they've made the decision not to recast uh t'challa for black panther 2 what do you what did you think of that i mean i know what the origin story says but what do you think of that I think it's all due respect to the memory of Chadwick Boseman and a lot of people are, like I said, creatures of habit and they don't want to see anybody else play the role. But honestly, and I'm not speaking for Chadwick Boseman, but I would think that if he was here and he was not able to do that part, he would not have a problem with someone else doing it. Um, with that being said, I love the direction that I think they're going in. They're going to focus on the city of Wakanda as a whole and the people. And um, it's going to be interesting because Ryan Coogler, I mean, he's incredible, man. And they need to bring my man Michael B. back. <laughs> bring him back, you know? I mean, they did the snap. He has to be one of the people that came back. I mean, they could, they could definitely do it. And I think it probably was maybe a little bit to their surprise that Killmonger became such a fan favorite you know to a lot of people and so um that would be one way to to approach it now uh you've been collecting comic books for a long time uh how big is your collection now well i would say uh 20,000 to 25,000 books yeah but you know it's been a while since um especially when the um pandemic hit uh, a lot of places closed down so unfortunately my comic book was one of those my comic book store where i went was one of those I can still get them digitally, but it's not really the same. I had stopped reading the books actually years before that. That comic book shop got shut down because um, I was actually getting them digitally. So I spent a lot of money at Marvel, a lot of money, double. Right. Well, it's kind of like they paying you back because you got the podcast now. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, we're talking about from an eight year old to. 49 that yeah they i eclipse anything they could pay me right now they'd have to give me like a contract for like six movies to pay me back <laughs> all the money i spent with marvel and i'd do it again so what was it that drew you to comic books in the first place i think the characters 
any young male at that point in time, you know, um, you know, father absent and things like that needed something to identify with. They have identified with the crowd they were with and the things that they did or they, who knows, became delinquents. Who who knows? But for me, the the kids, I was always lucky to have great friends that did interesting things um, from sports to comic books to MCN. Just lucky that way, I guess. And um, the books just, what can I say? The stories taught me how to read better, uh, taught me words that I wouldn't have known if I hadn't picked up the books, um, gave me a moral code that I didn't know I had. And a lot of us that, that read the books have this inner moral code that we don't even notice, but it, it kind of pops into the forefront at times, especially when we watch certain movies. We're always vying for the good guy or the villain. And um, at the end of the day, we just want that happy ending for everything or for the character that we are placing our focus on at that time. And that's just like life, man. We just want to win at life. So I get it. Still. You and I both were in Luke Cage. <laughs> you were playing yourself. I was playing myself. So we, we both have that on our we're in the MCU. We're in the MC universe, <laughs> right? That, that we're there. But what comic book character would you love to play in a movie? Well, um, I really was pining for um, Bishop, right? And whoever gets that role, they're going to freaking kill it, uh, Laz Alonzo. Anyway, <laughs> um, a- Adam Brashear is also a character I like. Uh, the Blue Marvel has a very interesting story. But um, as time goes on, I had a conversation with Idris Elba, and there was a rumor going around saying that he was uh, going to play the next James Bond, which I thought was big. You know, in my head, it's like, wow, we about to diversify the James Bond shit. Um, but he, when I approached him with it, he was more or less like, nah, nah, mate. If anything, I'd want to create a new character. Man, hit me in the head. Why not? I mean, Marvel is so, it's such a big universe. Why not create new characters of diversity instead of gender swapping or, you know, whatever it is? Create new characters and introduce them into the MCU and give them as much focus as you would the old characters or even put them with the old characters to give them a nice start and we'll work from there. I would love to play a new character that Marvel creates, you know, or DC for that matter. Okay, so what comic book character um, or what comic book or character would you most like to see a movie made about? Ooh, man. Wow. Dang. They they need to well, I think they're doing it now. I want I want them to give the Fantastic Four the their just due because they're a major part of the MCU. I agree. And a lot of the way the, the world works. I know they put it all on Tony Starks in the MCU, but Reed Riches is nothing to be sneezed at. That that needs to be done justice. I can't wait. And they've never done Doctor Doom right yet, so I'd love to see that. Yeah, I mean, I, there are some ones that got made. I would even put your one of your favorite characters in there, like Ghost Rider. Like, y'all can redo that one. Why you playing? <laughs> like, you know what I'm saying? Y'all can redo that. <laughs> Shout out to Nick Cage, though. I thought he was going to kill it, and he worked with what he had, you know, but it is. It what is what it is. I mean, just like Incredible Hulk, they haven't gotten that movie right yet, right? Haven't gotten it right yet. I was like, I feel like they gotten close. Yeah, I feel like they got close now because they have the guy. And like, I love Mark Ruffalo as Incredible Hulk, but yes, they just have never been able to get a really good movie. And that's like too big of a character and too major of a character for there not to be yeah a, a movie that is like okay, this is worthy of what a Hulk movie should should be. You are right. 
And Mark Ruffalo, not to cut you off, but Mark Ruffalo definitely has the chops to tackle a Bruce Banner persona because Bruce is at war with himself on the inside. That's the whole deal about the Hulk. It's like someone who's schizophrenic who all of a sudden switches to another person when they can't handle the truth. I just seen a documentary about that, too, but that reminds me so much of that. And I'm sure Mark Ruffalo would do his homework enough to snap on that dime where it's like, uh, he doesn't even need the Hulk makeup or anything. Just show his face and he can do it without that. Such a great. Yeah, he's a he's really good. Ed Norton's a really good actor. He played the Hulk. And I was just like, man, I just I just knew that was going to work. But it, he was great. But the the movie itself, it was just like, uh. never, yeah, and I've never seen Ed Norton do anything twice part two anything yeah so yeah so he probably won't come back um let's talk about your acting career uh, right now you're playing davis mclean on power book two uh which returned in early december i cracked up because a lot of people a lot of power fans really hate your character yeah they do he's very polarizing um so does that surprise you that so many i know he's not supposed to be a good guy but like are you surprised by the response to your character <laughs> No, because I, you know, I'm on the outside, I'm on the inside looking out. So I know, you know, I'm no, I know he's polarizing at best, but all I can tell the fans is stick around. You never know what can happen. And you're either going to like him more than you already do, or you're going to hate him even more than you already do. But Davis McLean is such a fun character to play because there's so many different layers to this dude. You know what I mean? And my, and right now for me, my favorite parts to do is, or well, favorite scenes are the courtroom scenes. Not only because, you know, of course I get a lot of dialogue and I can show my acting chops, but the atmosphere alone, it's like you can't, there's no way you cannot be in character when you're in this, when you're in this setting. And Courtney and those guys in that writer's room, man, thank you a lot for making me look so smart. <laughs> I read something that you said that, you know, of course everybody has seen you you know, play more grittier characters. Uh, you know, we see you play the gangsters and 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 do that kind of thing. Um, and though, but you said that those were roles that you personally sought. Um, now that you have played this particular role, and I know you've you've had others, but has this maybe opened even your eyes about the type of characters that you can play? Yeah, but I don't want to jump too far into the lake before I take enough swimming lessons. Let's just put it that way, you know. But um, I'm. This was a great time for an, a role like this to come up, and a great cast, and a great place to do it at. Um, if this was Philadelphia, <laughs> I don't know if I would have took the part because I mean Denzel murdered that. You know what I'm saying? But based off, and not taking anything away from Power Book Two, but based off the fact that I know this audience, I'm a little bit more comfortable doing what I do up there on screen because I know they'll understand it if no one else does. Yeah. Um. Keep it real, though. I mean, should Tariq be alive? Like, I, like he should not be alive, man. And I love Michael Rainey. I, I ran into him one time out here in L.A. and I was talking to him. I was like, you're so good. And I feel so bad because I constantly wish you were dead. <laughs> Your character. And he is a great kid, by the way. If you meet him, great kid, man. Oh, he's so sweet and so nice and so talented. <laughs> you know that dude should be dead. <laughs> yeah. I mean, people want him dead, but the fact Tariq, if this was real life, he'd definitely be in jail. He'd definitely be in jail. And somebody probably kill him in jail because he knew too much. But 
I love the fact, and you can't kill him because we wouldn't have a show. But I love how Michael is. Um, I love how Michael is handling himself this season. And the last episode, I don't know if you saw it or not. Episode seven, I literally saw Ghost when he was. I saw him shifting on that diamond and becoming a different person right there on the spot. And it was like, holy shit! Either this dude has a great fucking coach, or he's fucking gets it or both and i think it's both he gets it and he has a great coach michael um my hat's off i mean he's our leading guy and we're behind him 110 percent. but you're right tommy should have killed him um he should he should he should be in jail Roddy somewhere. <laughs> his daddy yeah i mean he's responsible for a lot of well not a lot but he's responsible for some deaths on that show. I thought that uh all power that no character could be hated more than Holly. Right. Oh, right. And how do you surpass that? And she was annoying as hell. She like, was I mean, I, I I've never oh, been right. so happy. And how so, do you surpass that? Right, and she right. was annoying. Never been so happy somebody got choked out before. I was like, I feel awful saying that, but I was like, God, I'm so happy Tommy choked her out. And that's a tribute to the actress. We're not trying to kill you. It's, she did an excellent job. It totally is. It is a complete, she did her thing. Um, so I, I read somewhere that, is it true you passed on a role in, in Girls Trip? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Ooh. Were you supposed to be like a love interest type of? Um, I was supposed to be that that a-hole uh, guy that Michael, was it Michael Coulter played him, I think? Yeah, Regina Hall's husband. So when I read the script, I... It was so, I was like, I feel like I got to take a shower. You know, I, I was like, I couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't relate to the guy. It was somebody like, I like characters that I feel like I can hang out with, good or bad. I feel like I can hang out with them. But this dude was like, Ugh. I didn't like him. I'm sorry. I just, I just didn't like him. And I did, did I turn down the role or was I in the audition? I can't remember exclusively, but I just know that it wasn't my piece of cake. And I think they got a great pick. Michael did an excellent job. I think they did well. Yeah, well, great, great picture. I, I'm mad that I passed on it, but not mad that I passed on that character. Yes. You see how much money that movie made, and it's going to be a part two. Will Packer is a bad man. Will Packer is a bad dude. Let's just say that. Yeah. Oh, that. That's funny. Well, um, you know, I was, we were talking about power a second ago. Um, I mean, it's not that I didn't know that she was capable, but I have to say Mary J. Blige, man, she like scares me in this. Like she is. She is not fucking around <laughs> or whatever. My only thing is if they'll just let her at least show her children love one time, like embrace them. Because <laughs> she'd be barking on them. <laughs> like she'd be in their ass. And Diana got to go to her room every five minutes. B, it's like, yo. But she hard body on this, man. And I love her character. People love that family. They going nuts over Woody. Shout out to Woody the Great. They love his character. I mean, it is what it is, man. Courtney, you know what she doing up there? You know what he doing? A hundred percent. I did. I listened to your video podcast you did with Talib on his People's Party. And um, you said that you, you, you didn't want to release y'all I need to get by. Is that correct? Why? As a single, as a single, as a single yes. Yeah, because I didn't want too much focus on it. And in my eyes, all the guys that tried to be sex symbols fell off pretty fast. I mean, for real, you know, with the exception of maybe LL, because LL is just, that's my idol, by the way. Can't do no wrong. Don't nobody say nothing bad about LL. You talk about a, a, a name, a name that doesn't come up in that best rapper ever conversation. His name does not come up. That's true. Well, he he's in mine. He's in yours, right. As much as it should. He's okay, mine, but go ahead, sure. continue. Yeah. Um, but 
anytime a rapper took that route, and, you know, and I'm not going to name any names, but anytime they took that route where they was talking to the females, they lost the appeal of the guys because it felt like they were pandering to a certain audience that didn't include the fellas, even though the fellas show up to the, they don't just show up to the shows to see you perform. They know the honeys is going to be there, so they're going to show up. That's why you see dudes at BBD concerts and, you know what I mean, and so and so forth, whatever. Um, I just didn't want to fall into that category. I liked the grimy space that we was in, the grungy hip hop space that we were in. And I didn't want to step out into the forefront as some kind of somebody's sex symbol. And the song wasn't about that anyway. So when it was presented, I was like, I don't know. I don't know if I'm ready for that yet, you know? And But like I said, these, these record label people, they're very smart. They may be shady, but they're very smart. And um, they knew what they were talking about. And Leo Cohen has never lied to me ever a day in my life. I don't care what anybody has to say about Leo Cohen. That dude never lied to me. He always gave it to me straight up too. A lot of love for Leo Cohen. So I hate to be the one to tell you this, but I, you know, I feel like, you know, but you, even though you didn't try to be a sex symbol, you have been put in that <laughs> bucket anyway, whether you like it or not, because most of my girls, when they heard who I was interviewing, I was like, y'all don't give a fuck about anybody else I interview. But all of a sudden, I say Method Man, it's like, ah, you know, whatever. So I hate to tell you that you're still in that category. Does does that feel kind of, um, I don't know, how, how do you put in perspective the fact that, despite the fact that, no, you are not known as the dude, you're not like known as like a Drake or whatever, that women kind of put you in that category. <laughs> I ain't gonna lie, it's a kick in the head. I like it. I mean, who who doesn't like to be admired, you know, especially to feel attractive. I mean, it's it's, it's a great feeling, but in in the same breath, I, I like to say it like this. Um, it wasn't something that's why the all I need record was what it was, because it it didn't feel like I was trying to be in that light. Um and the sexiest thing about being sexy to me is not trying to be. You know, um, and I think people, because I, you ask my kids, is the kid, my kids hear shit like that. They're like, where? Sexy where? This, this nigga? <laughs> really? But, um, you know, but you take it all in stride. And I, 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 I don't know, man. I'm bashful, I guess. I don't know. Just, yeah. You try and put yourself in a comfortable space and say, okay, well, I earned that. I, I, it wasn't just, I didn't pine for that. I didn't try to, you know, like prostitute myself to make girls like me, take my shirt off at every show type of thing. It just happened progressively. And I like that. But look, don't act like you didn't give us breakups to makeups. All right. I mean, granted. I did give you. You, you did give us breakups to makeups. Now, granted, that was not when people, if they remember the lyrics. It, it wasn't a song that actually was highlighting us necessarily. No, no. It's a different kind of song. But everybody know a girl like that. Come on now. That's why they liked it. They love a girl like that. Yeah, no, that was definitely a bop. Um, so speaking of taking your shirt off, uh, you have gone on an incredible, you like that transition, I know. Yeah, You've gone on an incredible uh, fitness journey that you brought people in on. And it was really interesting to find out how it started it basically started out of uh insomnia right so um i think you said you've only been working out like for three years is that right yeah yeah like hardcore dedicated okay so what have you kind of learned about yourself during this journey i'm a warrior baby Arrgh! um that i'm more disciplined than i ever gave myself credit for and um 
I think it's showing in my lyrical um, ability now and everything. I learned to slow down, take my time, um, focus on the things that really matter to me. I, I focus so much on, you know, being safe for the clan and, you know, Red Man and various artists on the side here and there, but never left anything for myself. So now I'm leaving the majority for myself now and little bits and pieces for everybody else. So when the working out thing got to where I lost the anxiety about going to the gym and the headaches and the throwing up. And once I got past all of that right there and hit my stride, it was like, wow, if I can do this, anybody could do this. So who can I inspire next to get their ass in the gym? You know what I mean? To not even just get there, just to get up that day and take a walk, you know, just to start that, that down that road to, perfection or not perfection because none of us will ever be perfect but down the road to just greatness and building up yourself yeah i, I imagine on this journey you probably had to give up some foods that maybe you you loved no uh what food actually no no you didn't no you did not okay no. all right um that's the beauty of macros um you do you set your daily calorie rate and you measure your protein your carbohydrates your fiber and your fats and all of that, your intake adds up to your overall calories. So I could pretty much eat anything within my calorie intake and my protein, carb, fiber, and fat intake. So, yeah, everything's on the menu. Shit, I had Skittles last night. <laughs> yeah, well, that's even that's even more encouraging to know that you didn't really have to, to give anything up. You, it sounds like you just modified yes and that is the key if anybody if anybody tells you you know uh the majority of it is the weights or the majority of it is the cardio they're lying to you the majority of it is the nutrition once you have a a great nutritional um regimen everything else is going to fall into place and that story i was telling or earlier about the anxiety and the, the stomach and the headaches and all that about going to the gym and should i go today and that thing second guessing myself left once my diet changed and I started to see better results way faster and the weight dropped, but the strength stayed. That's macros. So you're working out what? Five days a week? Five days. Yes. Okay. Yes. Five days a week. Each body part, a body part a day. Yes. A body part a day. Okay. What's your least favorite body part to work on? Legs. <laughs> Why do men hate the legs? <laughs> you know what? It's, it's not even, it's not even that. It's just, that testosterone build up and all that and, and just the, the sensation that you get. I'm starting to love legs now because I'm up to 315 on the plates and I am so <laughs> I've been working on legs for three years. OK, let me just keep it. Let me just keep it a buck. And if people could actually see my legs, they would see that they match my form. Right. But you put videos up and you can see that my legs fit my form. But there's always the random comment like, but what about legs? But what about legs? But what about legs? Don't skip leg day. Don't skip leg day. Then you go to their profiles and they got a donut in their mouth and they, you know what I mean? So it's like, yeah, don't. So you start to put up the leg day workouts and they still say, what about legs? What about legs? What it just is so freaking frustrated. It makes me want to do legs every <laughs> day. <laughs> and just post videos of just doing legs. Trust me, y'all. I would never be able to get up 315 in the squat if I was not doing consistent leg day. Damn it. God, get that out the way. You got to do legs, man. You have to. That's how you get stronger. 
you kidding me? Well, you were you were an athlete, still are an athlete, I think, um, especially given the way that you're work, working out. Um, and it is it, I, I saw you that you said that, you know, because people have suggested you, that you could play your that you should have played yourself on, on Wu-Tang America Saga. And you're like, no, nah, I, I couldn't. I couldn't play my younger self. I'm like, dude, have you? You look the same. Dude, you look the same. <laughs> I love that. I love that. But then I'm taking a job from an actor that probably could have fed his family with that check. So I'm glad Dave got the part, even though Dave didn't need the money. That mother flossy. Right? I like Dave. Dave dope. Dave is dope. Good job too, Davies. But <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> Sports fan. Um, and you're a Jets fan. And right now, they're still a little winless, uh, right? They are barreling toward yes. being added to the collection of of winless teams. So, um, oh, and sixteen. So, how will you feel if they do go winless uh, this season? We got to look at these things optimistically. That's a first round draft pick, right? How could we screw that up? Let's do some jet history of how they screwed up first round drafts. Anyway. Do you want the history? <laughs> like, <laughs> I already know. Trust me. I know. I know. It, it doesn't matter who we pick in the first round. Yeah, it does. But the, this, the New York crowd is going to boo anyway. That's what we do. We boo everybody. Even if it's Trevor Lawrence, because that's who y'all want, right? Yeah, we do want Trevor. <laughs> but you know what? Um, You know what? I think Adam Gase has had a uh, hard run of it. Um especially the pressure that was put on to him when he first got there. Um, he had all the pieces. Injuries happen, ladies and gentlemen, you know. But there have been a lot of questionable decisions and play calling, you know, uh, with that uh, yeah, with that team there. Like the all-out blitz against the Raiders? <laughs> like, what are you doing? <laughs> like, you know, I was, <laughs> what are you? Like, I don't... Like, just the... It, it was hard not to, to, to say the conspiracy theories were right. Right. It's just like, who does that? <laughs> a, a noise came out of me that I could not. I've never heard come out of my body before. And it's like, why, though? Why? why? You uh, and the defense hasn't been that bad in these last three games. Let's get let's give credit where it's due. But why? Why would you? Mm, I love the Jets. I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a longtime Jet fan because one, I'm a Long Island kid. And that's basically Jet and Mets. Period. You know what I mean? And just just the mystique of the Jets. It's like that green and white or that green and black is just it just make me want to get out there and tear something somebody head off. You know, we had the we're home of the New York Sack Exchange. I mean, we had Benny Testaverde. We had the tune, big tuna. We had Keyshawn Johnson. We've had Rob Moore, Long Island Zone, who I grew up with. There's been a lot of times where we've had all the pieces in place and just could not finish. When we had Sanchez, Mr. Sanchez, franchise. Some call him butt fumble, but we remember him how we remember him. <laughs> and, and if we can all get over the butt fumble, let's look at his stats. He was pretty good in the beginning. He was he was pretty good. But then you, like you said, people don't pay attention to injuries, certain pieces of the puzzle that get moved around because of injuries. And he started getting his ass kicked. You know, he wasn't the hardest guy in the world. And I mean, those first, I guess, two seasons, he didn't get hit as much. But when he started getting hit, then you seen it come out. And when you're playing jet football, you got to have some kind of grit to you, man. You know what I mean? This is the home of Richard Todd. This is the home of Boomer. You know what I'm saying? You you can't come up in here with the, uh, you know, you don't, you know what I mean? Fuck fumble and all. You, you, you just don't come in here and don't be tough. Period. 
Yeah, well, I mean, I think if I'm not mistaken, you guys made it to the AFC title game with him. So it's like, yes, we did. And he was great. He was great. But then, like I said, the people started putting paws on him that next season, man. And it's like, oh, Rex Ryan also loved Rex. Yeah. Um, so as you know, one of the biggest sports debates uh, that's out there, it continues to be out there. And I think it'll be this way for many years to come is Jordan or LeBron. Who's the greatest ever? Where do you stand in this debate? Can't they just be two? That's not how this works, Meth. <laughs> how this works I, I get it i get it i get it but I, like there were people from an era where kareem was the man even you know when magic was still playing and kareem had retired and we were saying magic was the man magic bird magic bird magic bird um everybody has well not everybody because some people didn't have that dude in that era but some people you know will chamberlain will always be the best that ever did it you know what i'm saying some people, Kobe, will always, he the best. How come he's not in the conversation? But when you get to a LeBron James and a Michael Jordan and you start to look at the work ethic of things, and if we get into the stats, um, the people around Jordan contributed a lot, and he was smart enough to get them involved. That was the whole plan. With LeBron, he carried a lot of that weight on his shoulders and showed up every time, especially that Warriors series. I mean, crown him now. You know, before we lose another, knock on wood, and I doubt we lose him, but crown him now. Give, give it, give it to LeBron now. Jordan was great, great, but LeBron is a whole different era, and I'm gonna go with LeBron James, man. A lot of people gonna hate on me for that shit or whatever and shit, but stats don't lie. Mm, okay all right putting it out there um now before i get to the game that i play with all of my guests as you know uh, as much as uh many of your fans love how your acting career is blossoming what do they always want to know where the music at meth so uh i know that there are some things you have coming up perhaps in 2020 or 2021 excuse me so what what you got going on the music front that's coming up well i'm glad i can do music now because i want to and not because i have to so i have more time with it Myself. Them actor checks, boy. Yeah, that too. That too. <laughs> They're nice. You're right. <laughs> that buddy good too, boy. <laughs> um, Havoc and myself have a LP coming out called Dirty P. Um, that's a play on no Dirty Bastards name and P from Prodigy from Mob Deep. Uh, myself and Rockwaller are doing a um, tribute to breakbeat old school hip hop breakbeats that I loved in the past. I'm redoing those records, but with totally different lyrics right now. What do I have in the bag? KRS-One's I'm Still Number One. Just did that one. And um, Ego Tripping by Ultramagnetic MC. Finished that one. So it's going to be pretty cool. Pretty cool. Oh, and Meth Lab 3, Season 3. Oh, look at that. All right. Uh, any Woo projects? Um, we were working on something. I did two songs, but I hadn't heard anything back in months. So, you know, that's just what did. That's how, <laughs> That's how y'all do. I'm always, no matter what, whatever album it is, you're always going to get a Met verse or two or three or four on there because that's just what I do, man. I love this shit. Um, well, that's good for, for all your fans to, to certainly hear. All right, so here's the game. We call it This or That. The choice is yours. You can get with this or you can get with that. You can get with this or you can get with that. You get two choices. Like you just uh, wonderfully answered that Jordan LeBron question. You get two choices. You got to pick one. That's it. That's the game. All right. Okay. So don't try to weasel out by coming up with a third option. It's two choices, man. That's it. All right. All right. All right. All right. So Anchorman or Napoleon Dynamite? Napoleon Dynamite. 
Okay, I didn't like the way you just disrespected Anchorman in your quick response. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. They the Anchorman, you know, they they built the world with Napoleon Dynamite. I, I I think there's a real place. I thought that was a real place, and these people weren't even actors. They was <laughs> being themselves. That's how great that movie was. And I played that for some of the biggest criminals on the block, and they laughed through that whole movie. So Napoleon Dynamite, unpopular hot take. Don't at me, people out there. The meth is probably gonna go off on me. I did not think Napoleon Dynamite was funny. I didn't. Oh, I didn't, I didn't think it was funny. I just, I don't get it. I'm trying to, and I like those kind of movies. Like I love Anchorman. Right? It's like it's Anchorman or Step Brothers is probably my favorite. Will Ferrell, one of those two, followed closely by Talladega Nights. Right? So it's that's my favorite. But. I just I couldn't get there with Napoleon Dynamite. I have tried to watch this so many times. I'm like, it just ain't that funny to me. I'm like, all right, Uncle Rico, I kind of get it. Yeah, all right. You couldn't get yourself submerged in that world, but yeah, I'm gonna try again <laughs> for like the fifth time. Maybe I'll laugh. Um, all right. Speaking of movies, uh, I know you're a big fan of kung fu movies. The Raid or The Raid Two? Ooh. <laughs> I'm gonna go with the raid because it introduced me, you know, to uh, some great action sequences as well as that lead actor. Man, he's dope. He's pretty dope. And the little guy, the raid, just part one, part one, part two was dope too. Don't get me wrong; they they was killing. That Listen, shit, for, for people out there who love kung fu movies, the raid has, I think, some of the best kung fu action I've ever seen. Like it's right, and he and these scenes go on like a fighter go on for legit twenty minutes, <laughs> and I'm like, how is how come nobody's Right. <laughs> With no like, that's one of the that's probably the greatest airplane movie I've ever discovered. That's how I discovered. I just like was going through. I was like, this looks interesting. Boom. And then a part two dropped. Boom. I was like, I'm in. I was like, I'm, I'm in on this. So that was yeah, that was pretty yeah. good. Uh, comic books, uh, Wolverine or Johnny Blaze? Wolverine. Um, nobody has gotten. That's the Ghost Rider is the comic they give the new writers when they first come on. Here, do something with that. Same way they do with Silver Surfer. Here, go do that. You know, but Wolverine, I, I just love he got so many layers to him and it's a great character. Great character. Um, would you rather win another Grammy or win an Oscar? Well, um, I'd have to go with an Oscar. Even though that's far fetched. <laughs> that's D- dude, you never but, are um, you serious? You never you never know, man. And they and you know what? They only let people like me so far in the door. <laughs> I still got a seat next to the kitchen in the restaurant, but I got a seat <laughs> and that's all I need right there, you know, but, um, I, I, Oscar definitely. So, and then I'd have to work on a Tony and an Emmy. Get that EGOT going, get all of it. Yeah. Yeah. Get up there with Whoopi in there. <laughs> uh, well, I think John Legend has it. He has the EGOT. Yeah. He's got all of them. Yeah, he does. Yeah. 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 All right. And finally, uh, the what or got my mind made up? Tough, but the what? Um, I actually was there with Biggie when we recorded it, whereas that record was um, the one with Pac was uh, a dog pound record that came about later on when Pac came home and they were just giving him records to uh, get his product out as fast as possible. And my hat's off to him for even wanting to still do the record um, or even being, uh, you know, connecting with me and Red Man saying, you know, I want a Red Meth record when he heard that. Dre had one, you know what I'm saying? So kudos to both of those. But yeah, the what? The what? New York shit. Yeah, I mean, I, I love both of them, but you probably have my favorite verse on Got My Mind Made Up, our favorite lyric when you're like, uh, 
better take one and pass or that's that ass. Your vital statistics are low and falling fast. Johnny Blaze out to get looped like Johnny Cash. Play a game of Russian roulette and have a blast. And have a blast. <laughs> like, yeah, that's oh, my yeah. favorite shit ever. Man, that came out when I was in college. I love that. That says a lot about your character. Yes. That's right. I can only rap other people's shit. I can't rap otherwise. <laughs> so trust me, at a karaoke, I'm going to kill that shit. <laughs> I already know. I already know. I love that verse, too. That's a great verse. It is a great verse. Um, look, you're a great entertainer all the way around between the acting, um, certainly what you're doing now in the hosting space, um, on podcasts, and and obviously in music. You, you're one of the legends. So I appreciate you spending this time with me. Um, this was really great. Uh, you know, I, I expect my female listenership will be up quite high because of this podcast. <laughs> Thanks to you, Beth. I appreciate it. <laughs> Help me get them numbers up. Uh, so it's all good. But anyway, continue to. They just want to see if I can put two sentences together. <laughs> I like the way he talks. Yes, I, I'm sure. Um, but anyway, uh, take care with everything you're doing and, and stay safe and, and healthy and, and good luck with all that you're doing. And I know you act. Look, I'm telling you. Listen, your co, your one of your co-hosts in power, uh, Mary J. She got nominated for an Oscar. I'm just saying, you never know. You never know. Yeah, well, that was a Golden Globe, but yes, and I told her ass that too. I was like, you're not here by mistake, Mary. You here because you're supposed to be. See what I'm saying? See what I'm saying? Like it's it's out there in the atmosphere. And hug your kids. <laughs> hug your That's kids. That's right. Mary, hug just one time. Just one time. Give hug some love. <laughs> I heard that. All right. That is meth. Thank him for joining us uh, big time. But y'all know what's coming up next. Final segment. Fuck it. I'm bothered. There is a tweet that I think about often. But unfortunately, what usually triggers my remembrance of this tweet is either A, a school shooting, or B, when there is an anniversary of a school shooting. Last week marked the eight-year anniversary of the mass shooting at Sandy Hook Elementary School. 21st graders, six educators, all murdered. You would have thought that would have been our turning point as a nation in the ongoing debate about gun control, which is why I often think of this tweet that was sent by political pundit Dan Hodges on June 15th, 2015. Here's what he tweeted. In retrospect, Sandy Hook marked the end of the U.S. gun control debate. Once America decided killing children was bearable, it was over. And fucking I'm bothered that Dan was so right. The only reason we haven't had to digest another school shooting and the reason this year will be probably a record low in school shootings is because the pandemic hasn't allowed children to attend school in person in any consistent way, if at all. And that in itself says something. It wasn't the willpower or the common sense of the American people that put a halt to these terrible incidents, at least temporarily. It was a deadly pandemic that has killed 300,000 people. Of course, the reason for gun control isn't just about stopping school shootings. It's also about stopping someone like Kyle Rittenhouse, the 17-year-old who's charged with murdering two protesters in Wisconsin with an assault rifle. He is not old enough to own a gun. And certainly it is also a crime to carry an assault rifle or any gun across state lines when you're not supposed to own one in the first place. But he showed up in Wisconsin with an assault rifle under the guise of protecting property damage from protesters. He showed up with a gun because he intended to use it, but it should have never been in his hands in the first place. 
This is the tricky thing about freedom. We want the freedom, but we don't want any of the responsibility that comes with it. Real freedom isn't just about being able to do what you want when you want. It's about having the common sense and the wisdom to know and understand your limitations, your vulnerabilities, and how you can be harmful to other people. It doesn't make any sense why we resist even the most basic reform when it comes to certain things. The gun zealots will holler about their right to carry and need to protect themselves, despite the fact that just a few small gun control measures would save thousands of lives. But this is so all on brand when it comes to American individualism and American exceptionalism. We want to be great at everything except the things that make us a better, less harmful society. Stay unbothered. Jamel Hill is Unbothered is produced by Spotify and Unbothered Inc. From Unbothered Inc., Ashley Van Horn is our head of talent. Rich Burner is our technical director and Evan Dick is our executive producer. From Spotify, supervising producer is Jifa Yador and project manager is Jessica Dow. Our theme music is provided by Corey Greenleaf and Ben Darwish. This or that music, the choice is yours, revisited by Black Sheep. Written by Andres Titus, William K. McLean and Johnny Hammond. From Universal Polygram International Publishing, Inc. on behalf of itself and Pete Bow Music. You can find more from me on Twitter and Instagram at Jamel Hill. Please remember to subscribe and share with your friends.